Some were persuaded. We're going to go to Acts chapter 28, verses 16 through 31. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with these chains. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, talking about Jesus, the way, concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. Now how would you like to have been in that service? From morning till evening. Maybe they had a lunch break, right? And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Friend, that's the way of it. Some will be persuaded and some will disbelieve. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. He said, they will hear it. They will perceive. They will understand. Their hearts will not be dulled. They will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your word. Your word that guides us and teaches us, encourages us, lifts us up, Lord God. And Father, we just thank You for it. We just pray that Your Spirit would open our hearts, Lord. Let them not be dull, but let them receive what You have for us today. And Father, God, that we would use 
the words that you've given us, that we would be encouraged to go out and to persuade others, Father. That's what this is about, that we would persuade others to believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. And may these words spoken today do just that, Father, for your glory and for the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm thirsty this morning. That mask made you thirsty. Everywhere that the Apostle Paul went, whether he went upon his own free will or whether he went as a prisoner, he went as a missionary for Jesus Christ. So whether he was free or whether he was in change, he preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Apostle Paul was brought to Rome as a prisoner because he had made an appeal to Caesar. He had been arrested and placed in the custody partly because the Roman commander in Jerusalem thought that Paul might be harmed by the crowd. He thought that they might tear him apart, so in part, he arrested Paul for his own safety, but mainly because it was God's planned course of action by which he would have Paul make his way to Rome. God had planned that Paul would go to Rome, and this was the planned course that God had chose, that God used this plan. He had been preaching to the Jews at Jerusalem, sharing how the Lord had appeared to him on the road to Damascus, He shared with them how even himself had previously sought to put an end to the preaching of Christ. How he stood there and watched as Stephen was stoned. In Acts chapter 22, 20, he says, And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I believe verse 21 is what brought their anger to the point of rage. That's where Paul shared how the Lord had called him the witness to the Gentiles. They were outraged at this, that Paul was going to be the witness to the Gentiles. My friends, the Jews had much disdain for the Gentile people. After all, the Jews were God's chosen people. They considered themselves God's elite, God's chosen people. God had given the Jews 613 commandments to follow. I shared a couple weeks ago that Israelites' ability to follow God's commandments, to follow His statutes, would bring great blessing upon the nation if they were faithful. But their inability to follow His commandments and statutes would bring curses upon the nation of Israel. They had a massive responsibility to be faithful to God. They had a massive responsibility to demonstrate God's love to the nations around them. But there's no wonder that they had formed the idea within themselves that they were better. They were better than the Gentiles in their minds, in their hearts. They thought the Gentiles were less holy than them. That's a fact. The Gentiles had only received the mere seven commandments. Seven commandments known as the laws of Noah. The non-Jew that chose to follow the seven laws of Noah was regarded as righteous Gentiles. Their seven commandments were not to worship idols, not to curse God, not to commit murder, not to commit adultery, bestiality, or sexual immorality, not to steal not to eat flesh torn from living animals, and to establish a court of justice. 
Scripture said that they listened to Paul until he spoke those words, that he was the minister to the Gentiles. And they said, depart with him. He is not fit to live. Verses 26 and 27 of our passage said, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their hearts, with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. I want to suggest to you this morning that pride, pride, my friends, is what caused them not to understand, to not receive the word that Paul spoke to them. They were prideful. You know, the, I, I truly believe that the average person out on the street, if you would stop and talk with them and, and ask them what the first sin was, if they have just a tiny little tidbit of biblical knowledge or understanding, they're going to tell you that it was when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge and good evil. Right? They're going to say that was the first sin. But what motivated Eve? What motivated Eve to eat of that tree? Genesis 3, 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. Pride was at the root of it. Pride was at the root of that decision that she would be like God. And if you will consider the arrogant rebellion of Satan before the world was as we know it, we see that pride actually was the original sin. The original sin was actually not Eve. Satan. His sin against God. Isaiah 14, 13 and, th 13 and 14 says, For you have said in your heart, speaking of Satan, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the height, the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Pride. Satan's motive was to be like the Most, the most High. He was prideful because of his beauty. He was prideful because of the position of eminence that he had been given. Pride became his stumbling block. And if it was his downfall, is it any wonder that Satan uses pride to bring down about the downfall of others? Think about that. He knows how well it works. The Jews have been given a position of eminence as God's chosen people. Romans 9, verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. They stumbled at that stumbling stone. What is that 
My friends, it is faith. What is a stumbling stone? You're going up a hill and you keep stumbling over this big rock. What? You stumble and you fall down and roll back down. You just you can't get by that stumbling stone. You just keep tripping over it. It is faith. That's the stumbling stone. The faith of righteousness. The faith that comes, righteousness that comes by faith. Let me get that in the right direction there. They could not conceive that idea that a person could be saved by faith and not by the works of the law. They could not get past it. They could not get around it, could not get over that stumbling stone. They could not comprehend it. One verse said that their hearts had grown dull as a reason they did not receive the message of faith. The Greek meaning of dull, as it's used in this passage, means so lacking in interest as to cause mental weariness. And they had a description of this. It was a boring evening with uninteresting people. Imagine spending an entire evening, an entire day, if you will, with someone that has completely different interests than you do, and they just keep sharing and talking, going on and on and on, and you know what you do, right? You tune them out. You're so bored you're not paying any attention to what they're saying. That's dullness. You know, it might describe a lot of people's thoughts about Christianity today, right? There's a lot of disinterest today in anything to do with Christ and Christianity. Maybe a lot of that fault lies within the church. Maybe we're boring them to death. I don't know. I was talking with a pastor friend a few weeks ago and he was sharing how one of the churches that he used to have in his charge that the pastor that's there now does not believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. He says that all the writings of Moses shouldn't even have been put in the Bible. Well, maybe that's why people are getting bored because they're not hearing the living Word of God. Maybe there's pastors in the pulpit that do not believe that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the Word of God is living. My friends, the Word of God is living. It is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. His Word is powerful and living. Let's not bore people to death, but let's give them the living Word of God. We'll get back to our Scripture. We can again see God's sovereign will playing out in Paul's circumstances being taken to Rome. Just as we saw them play out in Joseph's life, back when we was in Genesis, we saw that when Joseph was a slave, that God was with him. He found favor. We saw that when he was falsely accused and put in prison, that he was even with him in prison, preparing him for what he had in store for him. To be second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. We saw God's sovereign will playing out. We see God's sovereign will playing out in Paul's case. He wasn't kept with the common prisoners. He was afforded the privilege to be by himself, though not completely by himself. He had a guard. Paul had a guard with him all the time. 
This privilege may have been due to the terms in which Festus wrote about him, the letter that was sent with him to the Roman officials. It could be in the high terms in which Julius spoke of him. But either way, it allowed Paul's fellow workers in the gospel to come and visit. It allowed his fellow workers to come and care for any needs that Paul may have had. Verse 23 and 4 said that many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded. Some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. He was afforded that opportunity to be able to continue to preach. Back when Paul was a prisoner in Judea, the governor at the time, the governor of Judea was Festus. Festus shared with King Agrippa how his predecessor, Felix, had left him a prisoner. Well, the reason he left him is because Felix procrastinated. Felix did not want to make a decision on what to do with Paul. He couldn't find any just cause, of course, to put him to death. But he did not want to release Paul. Why? He didn't want to upset the Jews. He knew if he released Paul, the Jews would be upset. They wanted to kill Paul. And Roman governors back then, in these regions, they had one thing in mind. Advance their position, or at least maintain the one they had. So if the Jews would have wrote letters to Rome and told him what Felix had done, he might have lost his position. But he's worried about going up the ladder, right? So he leaves Paul there. We'll just procrastinate. Kick the can down the road. Pass him off to the next governor. So Festus shares with King Agrippa about Paul. and He says, I would like to hear him myself. I would like to hear what this man has to say. So they had a big to-do and King Agrippa and his wife and Festus and the whole audience and Paul gets up and preaches. Shares his testimony. Shares Christ. And at the end of all of Paul's preaching, King Agrippa said, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might be both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains. King Agrippa, almost, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. You'll hear many different opinions on witnessing for Christ, trying to convince or persuade people to believe the way we do. Founder of Campus, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, Bill Bright, says that some will say that a man's religion is so personal that we shouldn't discuss it. Others will say, I don't like people who are dogmatic and fanatical about religion. They try to force their views on everybody they meet. And some will say, well, I have my own religion and I'm happy with that. Bill Bright said during approximately 50 years of sharing Christ and training others, to do the same, I have found no biblical rationale to justify 
fearing those type of responses as a reason to not witness. The Apostle Paul was compassionate about sharing Christ. Trying earnestly to convince, to persuade all to believe as he believed. To believe in Jesus Christ. His heart was grieved for his fellow Jews. He wanted all of them to believe as he did, except for the chains. Right? Romans 9, 1-4, and this is the New Living Translation. It says, when, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief, unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed His glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them His law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping Him and receiving His wonderful promise. When was the last time you experienced unending grief for the souls of others, for your brothers and sisters? Have you experienced unending grief? He says, I would be willing to be cut off from Christ. That is powerful. To say, I'd be willing to be cut off from Christ if that would save my brothers and my sisters. Do we have that kind of concern for their souls? Paul would spend two more years under house arrest in Rome. He was allowed some freedom. It said that Paul dwelt in his own rented house and received all who came to him. But remember, he was still not completely alone. He had a guard. Think about that point. He had a guard. He was kept under guard every day. Now, I don't know how many hours Roman guards worked. I don't know if they worked 8-hour shifts, 12-hour shifts. I don't know. I do know in a parable that Jesus shares about the workers paid equally that the farmer went out at the 11th hour and found some and brought them in. They only worked one hour. So that tells me that farmers back then worked 12 hours. But farmers are hardworking, right? I don't know about Roman guards. 8 hours, 12 hours. Probably, let's just go with 12. But think about that. 2 years, 730 days. How many guards would have rotated in and out of Paul's presence in 2 years' time? And we all know Paul, right? Does anybody believe that he did not witness to those guards? Right, not a hand went up. I'll guarantee you, Paul witnessed to those guards. We can see the effect of Paul's ministry in Rome. In Philippians 4, verses 21-23, it says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you but especially those who are of Caesar's get that especially those who are of Caesar's household the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all amen during the time of paul's imprisonment or under guard nero was the emperor of rome now i know there are passages said that paul made an appeal to caesar caesar friends is a title it's describing a roman emperor like 
president. Nero was his name. Caesar was his title. Nero was an extremely cruel and wicked man. But the passage from Philippians said that some from Caesar's household actually became believers in Jesus Christ. Now I do not believe that he would be referring to the guards as the ones of Caesar's household. But it could have been the guards that shared Christ with Caesar's household or maybe even had taken them to visit Paul because many came to see him. But either way, even within Caesar's household, some were persuaded. Some were persuaded. Hallelujah! To believe in Jesus Christ. You know, there may be a lot of indifference to Christianity today. Christians may be considered radicals today. Some may feel we're intolerant because we don't accept their moral views. But we need to stand for righteousness. We need to stand on God's Word. We must not be dissuaded from witnessing for Christ by whatever the reactions may be. We must not be dissuaded. We must remember the power of the Holy Spirit. And that He who is in us is greater than He who is in the world. My friends, Satan wants to silence the church. We cannot let that happen. I truly believe with all my heart that the pressures being applied from those outside the church will actually work to embolden the church. I believe it. I'm just stating that today. I believe it. You know, there might be a lot of uncertainty in our future today. There might be a lot of scary things out there. I don't know. But friends, I know this. You were born for such a time as this. Don't doubt that for a second. You, you and I, everyone listening, everyone here, you were born for such a time of this. We are living in the time that God ordained that we would be. It's no accident. Nothing that has happened in, around the world in the past year or in our nation in the past year has surprised God. Nothing has surprised God. He is still in control. He's still on the throne. And we as His people, what are we to do? Trust Him. He is the one we are to look to. The one that calls us His children. His sons and daughters. He does not think of us as units. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That just came in there. We must be like Paul. We must have hearts that are broken for the lost. Paul said, And I, brother, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. Paul was a man who had the equivalent of two PhDs in theology. By the time he was 21 years of age, a man who wrote with great insight on the whole scope of theology. But nevertheless, his focal point was this, Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ. In the midst of all the chaos, his focal point was Christ and Him crucified. 
in the midst of all of our chaos, what must our focus point be? Christ and Him crucified. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. No other name. No other way. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, this is our hope. And our hope is that some will be persuaded. Convinced. Persuade them. Yes, we want them to be like us in that they believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That is the message the church has. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Trust in God. Believe in His Word. He will not tell you a lie, but He will reveal the truth. And the truth is that He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. And Jesus died for our sins, that we might be made righteousness, the righteousness that comes by faith. You're here, I know everyone here believes in Jesus Christ, but if someone's hearing this, and you have not put your trust in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do so. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart, take up residence, and to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be your Savior. He died for all. But not all are saved. Only those who believe in Him. So trust in Him today. Today is a day of salvation. Because we don't know that we have a tomorrow. Amen? Amen.